This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. It looks like the GOP has hit rock bottom with Jim Jordan's campaign to become House Speaker, finally smothered and put to death. Faced with the prospect of having a raving fucking lunatic as the congressional leader seemed to be too much to stomach as moderate Republicans work behind the scenes and even across the aisle to block the former wrestling coach's quest for the gavel. Jordan failed badly on Friday on the third ballot for the House Speakership, rejected by even more Republicans from the conservative mainstream who warned the hard-edged ally of Donald Trump that no threats or promises could win their support. Jordan had torn a page from the Trump playbook and unleashed the worst of his supporters on moderate GOP members attempting to bully them into supporting his candidacy. The New York Times provided some of the spicier threats, and I quote, Shortly after Representative Nick LaLota, a first-term Republican from New York, voted against Representative Jim Jordan's bid for speaker, the threats began pouring in. If I see your face, I will whip all the hair out of your head, you scumbag, read one expletive-laden email. The wife of Representative Don Bacon of Nebraska has begun sleeping with a loaded gun after receiving increasingly menacing anonymous calls and texts. Crazy Steve Bannon, a former Trump White House advisor and human embodiment of scum, ordered his Trump-obsessed podcast listeners to go after Republican holdouts. Call them and get in their grill. Let them know what you think. Email, call their local office, all of it. Burn it down. That's right. Get up in their face. After it became obvious that the mobster tactics were breeding rebellion, Jordan tried to play good cop by tweeting, We condemn all threats against our colleagues, and it is imperative that we come together. Stop. It's abhorrent. But even though the House GOP caucus is famously filled with fucking morons and imbeciles, it's doubtful anyone believed Jordan's bullshit. Screaming at people until they submit is all Jordan knows how to do. But barking only works if people believe you'll bite. And let me be very clear about this. Jim fucking Jim Bag scumbag Jordan is a fucking coward through and through. So after two failed votes, Jordan's third attempt at the gavel didn't end any better, in large part because more centrist Republicans revolted over the nominee and the hardball tactics that he was employing. And House Republicans voted by secret ballot to end the farce and force Jordan to step aside. The move now leaves Republicans without a speaker more than two weeks after the ouster of Kevin McCarthy. Now, should Jordan have succeeded, it would have cemented the far right's takeover of the Republican Party. Make no doubt about that. It would have cemented the far right's takeover of the entire GOP. But a Jordan speakership would have also come with more baggage than Kim Kardashian on vacation and would have presented a challenge to Republicans as they struggle to hold on to their narrow House majority in next year's election, an effort that will likely hinge on drawing support from moderate voters in swing districts. So my friends, let's go now to Trump Indictment Watch. And boy, do we have some news here. 
It appears that after pleading guilty to a reduced charge, Sidney released the Kraken Powell, has cut a deal with Fulton County prosecutors, and will, let me say it again, and will testify against Donald J. Trump. Powell, a prominent election fraud conspiracy theorist, was sentenced to six years probation and slapped with a $6,000 fine. She will also be required to pay $2,700 in restitution to the state of Georgia to cover the cost of replacing the violated election equipment. Now, I want to be very clear. I think they're all getting off fucking easy. Me, I got six fucking years, three years incarceration, three years post-incarceration for another guy, Donald J. Trump, getting his fucking mushroom dick pulled by a porn star. I mean, 2700 in restitution, 6000 fine, and six years probation? I don't know. Doesn't sound right to me, but I'll take it. And by taking the plea deal, Powell is admitting to her role in the election system's breach in Republican-heavy Coffee County in January of 2021 where Trump supporters accessed and copied election data in hopes of subverting the presidential election results. I mean, this is an unmitigated disaster for Donald Trump, who, according to sources, believed Powell was the most rock-solid of all the Georgia defendants and never for a fucking moment believed that she would flip. (laughs) Oops. I mean, that is his first mistake, you jerk-off. All right, she did, and so will the rest of them. For months, Trump and his advisors have discussed which co-defendants in the Fulton County case and alleged co-conspirators in the Washington, D.C. special counsel investigation were most likely to cooperate with prosecutors and turn against him. Now, you may remember, even on this show, I had said a long time ago, there's going to be more flipping than the United States gymnastics team. I said it all over television and to the press. Why? Because they're putting their foot onto the heads of these co-defendants who've seen exactly who Donald Trump is. And hopefully I did part of that to make them aware of exactly what this guy is all about and that only everybody else ends up with the repercussions. Trump's attorneys have also tried to game out which of those potential cooperators may pose the greatest risk to his defense. And so far, the Trump legal team has been keeping a close eye on the case of Kenneth Chesbro, an architect of Trump's fake electors plot who was due to stand trial alongside Powell in Fulton County. Well, guess what? He took a deal too. But before her plea agreement, some of Trump's legal and political counselors have been working to cast Powell as the fall guy in the election-related cases against him and hope to shovel the criminal exposure and blame for the failed attempt to overturn the election onto her and others in the hopes of shielding former President Trump. My friends, does any of this shit as it relates to me sound familiar? After all, this was the woman who pushed the idea that George Soros, or was it the CIA, or perhaps Venezuelan strongman Hugo Chavez, was somehow involved in the rigging of the election against Trump. And she was the one of the trio of advisors who pushed the then-president to consider imposing martial law rather than quit the White House. I mean, talk about a fucking cuckoo. 
And given what we know about Powell's role in the days surrounding January 6th and the very lenient terms of her plea deal, she appears poised to offer damning fucking testimony against the former president. Under the terms of Powell's agreement, she will receive a small monetary fine and a six-year sentence of probation, and she will have to write an apology letter to the people of Georgia. Now, this may seem like a slap on the wrist, and it does for me, for one of the top figures implicated in the January 6th cases. But let me tell you what it also means. It could mean that she gave up a significant amount of evidence against even higher level figures as part of her deal. In fact, I can guarantee that's what happened. Indeed, the agreement included a pledge to turn over all documents, to testify against all of her co-defendants, and to offer a recorded statement to prosecutors. I mean, she's already done the last part, so they know what they got. There are several reasons why Powell could prove to be such a critical witness against Trump. So for one thing, the original RICO indictment alleged that she was deeply involved in a scheme to steal voting machine software in Coffee County. What's more important for the purposes of the prosecutions against Trump, though, is that the House January 6th committee revealed that she was an active participant during a critical White House meeting in the weeks before January 6th, during which Trump allegedly sought to have her appointed as special counsel in order to seize the voting machines. Powell's testimony could begin as soon as next month. So look, the big question hanging over the proceedings will be her credibility with jurors. But as long as she brings receipts to back everything up, Powell's testimony not just could prove to be a fatal blow to Donald Trump, but will prove to be a fatal blow to Donald Trump. And I'm so emphatic about that statement because I'm going through that right now. Oh, fuck, Michael Cohen, convicted liar. Fuck you. Let me be clear. Documentary evidence and corroborating testimony is what these cases are all about. Nobody's asking any one person to be the the absolute end-all be-all. It is a confluence of documents and testimonies all wrapped up into an individual like Sidney released the Kraken Powell, like my testimony that will prove to be the fatal blow to Donald Trump. And now for the main event. We welcome back to the show legendary newsman David Korn, who is the Washington, D.C. bureau chief of Mother Jones and an on-air analyst for MSNBC. Korn and Michael Istikoff co-authored a book called Russian Roulette, the inside story of Putin's war on America and the election of Donald Trump. He's also the author of four Not one, not two, not three, but four New York Times best-selling books and was the longtime Washington editor for The Nation. For a good read, check out Our Land, his twice-weekly newsletter that covers everything from news of the day to entertainment, but all told in Korn's no-bullshit style. 
Corn has been published multiple times, but his latest bestseller, American Psychosis, a historical investigation of how the Republican Party went crazy, is an absolute must-read for anyone interested in understanding the unprecedented times that we currently are living in. He joins us today amidst unprecedented dysfunction in American government as the GOP continues for a third week without a House Speaker, paralyzed by infighting between moderate and extremist factions of the GOP. On top of this, former President Trump awaits four separate criminal trials and has all but dared Judge Chutkin to jail him for violating his gag order. All the while, war rages in Israel and in Ukraine. I mean, it seems we are drifting without a rudder and American credibility is suffering. The question is, like the song, how low can you go? Well, let me tell you, David Korn is here to tell us exactly how low we can go. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, David, so yesterday we saw Jim Bag Jordan for the second time failed to achieve the necessary support from the GOP Congress members. In fact, he even went backwards, losing more votes than the first time. What are your sources telling you? Well, they're telling me something that's not a big secret in Washington. Jim Jordan is not well-liked. I mean, that's kind of the bottom of this here. You know, when it comes to electing a speaker, it's often not an ideological matter it's who the members trust uh to basically help them get reelected who will raise money for them who will listen to them when they have a legislative priority um who can just you know present the party well for their own benefit and there's nobody outside the house freedom caucus who really believes that jim jordan can do any of that he hasn't done it to date as has been widely noted he's been in the uh, in Congress for 16 or so years. He's never passed a single bill. He's not a good fundraising source uh, for uh, the other Republicans. You know, Steve Scalise and Kevin McCarthy raised tens of millions of dollars that they then shared with other Republican members and candidates. Um, he's not someone you can trust in that he's always sort of going off on his own and demonizing people. You know, John Bader called him a, leg a legislative terrorist about a couple of years ago. So um, it's, to me, kind of amazing that he's gotten this far. And I haven't even talked about the fact that he was one of Donald Trump's biggest co-conspirators in trying to, you know, mount a coup and overthrow the, the government after, after Trump lost the election, which doesn't seem to bother most House Republicans, although one or two have cited it as a reason not to like him. And he's put on these hearings, the weaponization of government and attacking Twitter and all these other things that continually blow up in the Republicans' faces. They just don't do what he says they're going to do. They bring forward witnesses who aren't reliable and the Hunter Biden stuff. So, again, it's quite amazing that he got even this close. And as we talk, it's still possible, not likely, that you know that he that, that that it may work out for him. You know they're talking about another vote. I don't know what's the point of that, but uh, since he lost ground, as you noted, between the first vote and the second vote, and I'll, I'll end with this. Uh, it was reported yesterday that the opposition to Jordan has 
uh, has been staggering their votes, meaning that people who are, you know who are against him becoming speaker didn't all vote uh, against him because they were saving their no votes for later down the road, realizing that he wasn't going to win. And that just shows you the guy's really despised for people to do that and to sort of not just plot, not just vote against him, but plot how to most effectively vote against him is an indication that there's this, there, there's this diehard group of, 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 of House Republicans, and you can't call them the moderates or whatever, just to, you don't have to give them a, a label, who just are as saying over our dead body, Jim Jordan. Okay, so let's just stay on that for a quick second, because clearly that in and of itself raises serious questions over whether, you know, Jim Begg Jordan actually has, forget about a viable path forward, but any path forward, right? As I said before, the first time he lost 20 votes, he has lost 20 Republican votes. On the second go around, it was 22. So unlike even Kevin McCarthy, who went through this process 15 times, he never lost ground. He may have picked up one or two votes, but he never actually lost ground, which unfortunately right now this nonsense right, has put the House in a complete state of paralysis. But regardless of the defeat, regardless of what you just said, which is <laughs> that, that they are actively uniting, there's groups that are actively uniting to figure out how to keep him out. This narcissist, this asshole, has vowed that he's staying in the race to the end and that they today will hold a third vote and then he'll hold a fourth one. How long before he finally bails out and realizes there is no path for him to be speaker? You know, Jim Jordan's role in the house has been to deny reality he got up there during the first impeachment and shouted in my face i mean literally shouted in my face <laughs> there was no quid pro quo uh, between trump and, and Zelensky, even after the ambassador there had said there was a quid pro quo um he of course has denied the russian attack on the 2016 election and claimed that actually it was the Ukrainians who stole the data and got the servers and it wasn't the Russians who attacked the camp, the, the election to help Donald Trump. Um, he has obviously been out there in 2020 um, denying that Trump won without producing a stitch of evidence, but also then working with Trump to, um, you know, try to get the Justice Department to declare the election was fraudulent so they could somehow overturn it and encouraging the January 6th um, events that turned into a riot. So his whole thing <clears throat> is to, is disinformation, denial. He has claimed that uh, what Joe Biden has done with, in cahoots with his son Hunter is an impeachable offense without producing any evidence of that. So the guy doesn't seem to be tethered to reality. And of course, He's denied what other people have said, that he ignored charges of sexual abuse uh, when he was mm -hmm. the assistant wrestling coach at Ohio State University. Um, so it's always been deny, 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 come up with phony narratives. So I question his ability 
to actually assess reality. So you say, how long will he go on and keep doing this? I mean, I don't know. I mean, he may want to keep voting and think that he could do what Kevin McCarthy did, even though he's put the car in reverse, not not forward. Uh, but at some point, other Republicans will just say, this is this is crazy, and we're not going to keep having votes for Jim Jordan if he keeps losing by this amount, and it will give even more impetus to the uh, movement now to give more expanded powers to um, the Speaker pro temper, uh, McHenry, for some time until they can figure out what to do in terms of a Speaker within the Republican caucus. So, I mean, Jordan does not have carte blanche to just go another 15 rounds. I mean, it, it could happen, but that seems unlikely. And at some point, um, there will be rebellion. Remember, Kevin McCarthy, you know, was, you know, not by me, but was well-liked by most of his House caucus. He was by far and away, you know, the, the, the favored leader. People were willing to stand by him because of what I mentioned earlier, his his ability to raise money for them and the fact that they felt a degree of loyalty to him. Jim Jordan does not have that. And no. it would be quite improbable to see the caucus stand by him through a dozen or more votes that he is not winning, particularly when a lot of the opponents have said, I will never, ever vote for Jim Jordan. And it's not even okay. It's not even up for, for, for horsemen. Right. So this creates a bigger problem. Forgetting about Jim Jordan. I, I personally, like you, I don't give two shits about him. If he would go back, you know, to Ohio, I would be very, very happy. Here's the problem. In approximately a month from now, we're back to the issue of a government shutdown based upon funding. And without having a Congress, a fully functioning Congress, meaning somebody who is the leader, the Speaker of the House, we have a real problem as a country. Forget about the GOP. They're already in fucking shambles. They don't know whether they're coming or going. They're internal fighting. When you have a Florida representative, this guy Mario Diaz-Balart, telling right, uh, that Jordan is, in his opinion, going to lose by even a bigger chunk of GOP floor votes on the third ballot. And it seems that they're only doing, it's like a ballot a day. With McCarthy, I think they did three or four right. in one day. We don't, as a country, have the time to allow the GOP to be the dysfunctional party that they are because it affects not just members of the Republican Party, not just the determination on who will be the next speaker, but it it affects every single one of us. I mean, that, that's all true. The um, the talk of the deal to, to make McHenry uh, a quasi-speaker for a period of time would cover some of these issues that are pressing, such as funding the government and coming up with an aid package for Ukraine, Israel, and and other and some other top priorities. So I think it would all kind of be done at once uh, to you know to to get around this. But the question is, I mean, it seems clear to me that Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader, 
who keeps placing first in these speaker fights. <laughs> like, Isn't that great? You know, like 13 in a row, whatever it's been. I don't, he, 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 he keeps placing first, although he doesn't get above the, you know, the, the majority needed. But nevertheless, you know, he, you know, has been, in the last couple of days has been talking about coming up with a bipartisan solution, which would mean having a temporary speaker. And as part of that deal, it would have to be to get some of these big ticket items, you know, completed and done in a compromised fashion, and that allow and, and and so that would be kind of the price that the Democrats would extract from the Republicans for basically bailing them out of their chaos and dysfunction. Whether that can happen is you know is a good question, you know, and how it won't happen if if you have. A majority of House Republicans okay with this deal, um, and most Democrats okay with it. Uh, that's pretty compelling. And um, how you know what the rules say about how that reaches the House floor? Uh, yeah, I don't know. And it could even lead to a court challenge. You know. Jordan's allies are saying it wouldn't be constitutional to do this. The guy, the guy who tried to subvert the U.S. Constitution is now claiming, well, you know, if you gave this guy extra powers for a few months, that would not be constitutional. But nevertheless, um, there's a lot of wrangling to be done, um, all because the House Republicans can't get along and do this on their own. You know, it's been pointed out before, but Nancy Pelosi had, you know, as narrow a margin when the Democrats had a majority in the House, and she was able to get the Democratic caucus to work like adults and to even, you know, get past the differences they had and to be uh, coordinated with each other and to work more or less as a whole. And this is what you don't have on the Republican side. And going back, to this great book that I know about called American Psychosis, written by yours Yes, Truman. we're going to get to that. <laughs> but, but I'm saying this has been long coming within the Republican Party. There's, whether it was the, you know Newt Gingrich, the Tea Party, or MAGA Republicans, they've been electing people who hate government and who hate other Republicans. And they don't believe in any compromise, and they don't believe in, in, in solutions. This is why Jim Jordan has never you know passed a bill, because he's not there to govern. He's there to blow things up to get on Fox and to create false narratives that work up the Republican base. And this is, you know, this is so true. It's coming home to roost. So look, let me just sort of do a a quick, a quick analysis of this second round for Jim bag Jordan. All right. You were a hundred percent accurate when you said that Congressman Hakeem Jeffries for the second time, obtained more votes than Jim Jordan. And here's the breakdown. So Jim, uh, so Hakeem Jeffries received 212 votes. Jim Bag Jordan, 199. So he's minus 13. Steve Scalise took seven votes. Kevin McCarthy recaptured five votes. And this is the interesting thing that you brought up. 10 additional members of the GOP went for others or no vote. This is the interesting part because even assuming that the others end up voting for Jim Bag Jordan, 
it doesn't make a difference. He's still short of Hakeem Jeffries by one. And the chance that you're going to see any of these 13, the, look, the five for McCarthy are written in stone. They're not going anywhere. They hate Jim Jordan. They hate Matt Gates for what he did. And that's going to be my next question to you. How do you see anything happening here? Why are they not just turning around and saying to him, instead of allowing him to, and his fanatical fans to threaten other members of the GOP, why do they not just say to him, why don't you take a seat, maybe bring in somebody like an Adam Kinzinger or bring in just somebody? Forget about this bipartisan bullshit, David, because you know as well as I that the Jim Jordan fanatics, and there's 199 of them that are voting for him, there's at least a dozen that will never, ever allow anything bipartisan to happen. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's true. And he has 199 votes. I think that of those, anywhere from 50 to 80 are people who just want to get this over with and they're being rolled by him and the House Freedom Caucus and they don't want him to be um, to, to be speaker. And if there were another way forward, they would easily grasp it. So that's why there is a slight chance that some, you know, unconventional way ahead might work. But in the meantime, I think at some point, um, you know, the, the, you know, because he, you know, he does have the support of the people he has. They're going to let him have a few more votes unless he decides otherwise. But at some point, I think they have to stand up and say, "You had your shot. You had you had a bigger, you had a better shot than Steve Scalise." Who beat you? I mean, this is the thing. He, you know, Steve Scalise beat Jim Jordan within the caucus. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there were so many Jim Jordan folks who said, well, I'm not going to vote for Scalise on the floor. I'm going to, you know, sabotage his, you know, his, his bid for speakership and didn't stick to the rule, which is the general rule has been on both sides. Whoever gets a majority of the caucus votes if you're Democrat or Republican, when they get to the floor, that's who you support, right? That's how it should work. Otherwise, you will never have a speaker. But nevertheless, the Jordan people would not do that for Steve Scalise. So then the guy who gets second, then all of a sudden becomes the the, the leader designate, you know, because Scalise says, well, if you're not going to vote for me, I'm not even going to bring this up for a vote. And he bows out. So it's like blackmail and look. Blame. We may not, David. We may not have a speaker until Democrats take the House back. No, it's that's like, how crazy this is. Here's something else that you kind of sparked in my in my mind. Here, I love the fact that members of the GOP are not blaming each other for this mess, for this shitstorm that they've created. In fact, who are they blaming? The Democrats. Of course. I don't know if you saw this. So yesterday on CNN, Brianna Keeler, and I happen to, of course, you know, know Brianna quite well. And I'm, I'm a fan of hers. Uh, and people always try to, to say, oh, well, you know, you guys had such a bad exchange years ago. I've had bad exchanges with many different people. And things with me. ultimately <laughs> change. Right. Right. Well, you were wrong on that one, by the way. But putting all that aside. Right. Um. Austin Scott, Republican of Georgia, yeah. went on her live show 
and sat there blaming the Democrats because Democrats did not vote for Jim Jordan to be House Speaker. David, she kept trying to say to him, can you please explain to me how you are throwing this without, without laughing onto the shoulders of Democrats Get your own house in order before you want to blame the Democrats. You know, it's so nuts. I mean, they, they, you know, Kevin McCarthy has been saying the same things that the Democrats voted with the eight against him, and that's why he lost his job. So it's the Democrats who have made this dysfunctional and chaotic. Listen, Kevin McCarthy is out there, as is Jim Jordan. You know, defending or saying that you know, defending Trump or or saying that the 2020 election was indeed stolen. They both have participated in a way in undermining the Constitution and the and subverting American democracy. And Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan have launched this baseless conspiracy, uh, excuse me, baseless impeachment crusade against Joe Biden. Yeah, investigate Hunter. Invest, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not saying nothing happened here, but there's no basis yet to say that Joe Biden did anything impeachable. So have your investigation of Hunter Biden. If you come up with something, get back to us. But they're out there yeah. pushing impeachment and they're pushing, you know, the, the stolen election. They're basically saying they will never let, you know, a certi certification certification of another Democratic victory there. And, and, and then they say, but the Democrats aren't voting for us. Well, excuse me, if you're out there trying to destroy American democracy uh, by supporting Trump or advancing the notion that the election was stolen or participating in a scheme to overturn the election results, which Jim Jordan did, and you're pushing false narratives about Joe Biden, why should you know why? How can you expect a Democrat to vote for you, Kevin McCarthy. I mean, that it, it, it's just so, I mean, it's like whining. It's poor little me. Oh, the Democrats won't do this. No, you couldn't control your own caucus. Jim Jordan, you're not popular enough because you've done nothing in Congress for 17 years. Um, except 16, 16 years, not a single bill yeah. passed. And, Can you and, imagine? And, and, yeah. But I think, I, I do think that the, you know, the public, understands this but i also think the media every damn time that someone's out there talking about jim jordan or jim jordan's out there talking they need to say how come you won't answer questions about what you did with donald trump to overthrow the 2020 election and so if you if you know if, if brianna is talking to austin scott about his support for jim jordan she has to ask how are you supporting somebody who schemed with Donald Trump, it's all there, we know it, he won't tell us all, all, all that he did, to overthrow an election and put him second in line to the president. Tell me how that works. And yeah, Actually, know, third, right, third. Uh, oh, he's after, after, well, you're right, second, vice president, second in the line. speaker. He's, yes, right. he's vice president, then it's the speaker of the House. So the guy who tried to blow up the Constitution and steal an election could become president if something were to happen to the president and vice president. Yeah, God forbid. So, look, let me ask you this, then, because it's so stupid that we're even speaking about this. Could you imagine they have the fucking majority and they can't get together? Could you imagine if Democrats right now had the majority, how fast do you think Hakeem Jeffries would be gaveled in? I mean, would it be even it wouldn't even take an, more than that first vote. The entire thing would be over in under 25, 30 minutes. But yes. look. 
We all know that this situation started or was started by this reckless, accused, far-right sexual predator, Matt Gates. It's just, he's the one who started this shit. What, in your opinion, caused him to do this? And do you think that he's regretting it now that the GOP looks like they, you know, like truly oh, what no, they no. are, an absolute disorganized mess? Um, you know, I don't think Matt Gates regrets anything other than like, you know, young girls he let pass by. Um, I, I mean, I don't I don't really think, you know, he regrets. I think it's been interesting that in the last couple of days, you know, he's been less prominent, at least in the yeah. media that I've seen. And that I think that they got the message that him being on the front lines for Jim Jordan, who he does support, um, would not help Jim Jordan because there is a tremendous anger in the caucus against him for getting rid of Kevin McCarthy, who, again, was popular and most people wanted to, you know, almost everyone wanted to remain, uh, every Republican wanted to remain as speaker. So having him out there pushing for Jordan would probably alienate more votes against Jordan, which is why, you know, I, I haven't seen him do a lot of TV or make a lot of media appearances. He's certainly not, you know, you know uh, right by Jordan's side throughout throughout all this. You know, why he did this, other than, the you know the attention that he got initially for bringing down uh, McCarthy and you know you know serving his his ego that seems to be what he cares most about. He's also you know you know if 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 um Jim Jordan is as John Boehner once said a legislative terrorist, well then Matt Gates is a legislative super terrorist. I mean, he's really just there to stomp his feet, tear things down. Um, so I don't know, but um, it's, you know, there, there was talk, you know, in the caucus, remember, of even trying to expel him. And he still faces an ethics investigation within Congress, though he wasn't prosecuted for um, his his interactions with an underage uh, woman uh, or teen he his behavior is still under investigation by the ethics committee of the house and it could well come out with a report that might be very damaging for him uh, we don't know it could well not be or they could never be a report they don't they're not obligated to say anything um but you know he may be hanging low a little bit um keeping his head down because he knows there are a lot of people in the caucus who would love to, um, you know, to get him. You know, somewhere about seven, eight months ago, I actually thought I saw while watching um, Matt Gates talking on television. I actually thought I was beginning to see, you know, the bell curve when you get to the yes. top and then all of a sudden you come in. I actually thought that he had hit the top of the bell curve and he was he was making a change that while still a Trumper, not the sycophantic fool. And I was so disappointed when that whole bell curve changed, you know, maybe just a couple of days after that. I don't know. I really 
thought that it was gonna it was gonna change that he was more interested in his constituents in Florida in the United States of America you know doing his job and of course you know I uh, I was wrong on that one but you know just going back for a quick second to that exchange between Austin Scott the Republican of Georgia and Brianna Keeler it was really very funny because Austin Scott turned around and says to her and I'm gonna quote but Speaker McCarthy was elected and he was the Speaker of the House. Okay, fantastic. You know, thank you for enlightening all of us. The Georgia Congressman, of course, stated, he was the largest Republican fundraiser ever for us as House Republicans. I'm not so sure that that's true, but he then went on to say that the Democrats knew what they were doing when they put up 208 votes to take him out of the speakership. And that's what created the current situation. Well, of course, Brianna wasn't going to take any of that shit. And she then went ahead and she interjects and saying <laughs> they didn't take him out of the speakership because the GOP is in the majority. And he then wants to fight her on it. I mean, you're fighting facts. He then says, sure they did. Again, she then stops him cold. Look, I've seen her do it. She stops him cold and she reminds him, you're the majority. But he doesn't care. He then comes up with some fakakta formula claiming that Democrats made up 96% of the votes to remove McCarthy from his leadership role. And what he's doing, you know, there's that old expression, numbers don't lie, people do. You can manipulate numbers any way that you want. What he's saying is take the 208 Democratic votes against Jim Jordan, or McCarthy, for that matter, take their 208 votes and then add it to the members of the GOP, but using only the GOP, people who didn't vote for McCarthy to remain. And then you have 96%. It you know, is the stupidest way of evaluating how this process works, to which she could not help but repeat herself. But sir, who's in the majority? Is, well... The Democrats were the majority of the vote. I mean, he's now fighting her on facts. This is what, and what brought you me know, to this report is, is, it's a is very, what you were saying to me about misinformation, yeah. disinformation. It's a very simple notion. Whoever is in the majority decides who is speaker. And if they can't, there is chaos. Republicans are in the majority. They can't decide who is speaker. And you can't expect Democrats to vote for speaker, somebody who has denied election results, uh, supported Donald Trump and his authoritarian crusade to subvert American democracy, and has launched an, a, a baseless impeachment crusade against the president who comes from their party. So it's just, it's, 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 it's hogwash. It's bunk. He's trying to horn swoggle the audience uh, when he comes up with all this. And, um, you know, it, it, it is the Republican Party's responsibility to come up with a speaker if they are in the majority. They don't want to be in the majority. They don't have to be. And they can let Hakeem Jeffries become speaker. They can just not show up for a vote. And the Democrats will elect Hakeem Jeffries. 
So it's they, you know, they're just, you know, it, it, this is just desperation. They are trying to come up with spin to the reality that they can't function, that they have become a party, you know, that's, you know, that, that, that decries the government, promotes conspiracy theories, and elects the most extreme people, supports, you know, it's turned into a cult of personality with Donald Trump. And when you have all that, it's no surprise you can't function in the real world. Yeah, my favorite, and I think um, Brianna Keeler actually uh, created a new term during this interview <laughs> when she said to him, you know, and based on, you know, this nonsense uh, of his 96 percent, you know, she called it verbal gymnastics. And I thought that was oh, actually very brilliant. Good. I don't I don't. Yeah, me too. I don't even know where she came up with that one, but good for her. So let me move on for a second, because obviously there's so much going on outside of even the chaos here in our, you know, in our Congress. And I want to reflect for a quick second uh, on this recent Mother Jones article that you wrote. And in it, you state, and I'm going to read, it's a little bit of a paragraph here. The horrific massacres waged by Hamas against Israeli citizens and the horrific Israeli counterstrikes that have caused a humanitarian crisis in Gaza have prompted extreme and callous responses. Going to say, fringe far-left outfits, campus groups, and some pro-Palestinian activists have justified Hamas's vile attacks, while Senator Tom Cotton, Republican of Arkansas, endorsed wiping out Gaza. Not just Hamas, but wiping out all of Gaza. As I noted in a previous newsletter, and again, these are yours, your words, any dehumanization that allows for a blasé attitude toward the murder of civilians is condemnable. But when such a stance is adopted by persons with power and influence, it especially warrants opprobrium. On Fox News, when asked about the dire conditions, destruction, and deaths in Gaza caused by the Israeli assault, Cotton showed no compassion. As far as I'm concerned, and this is Tom, this is Tom Cotton's words, as far as I'm concerned, Israel can bounce the rubble in Gaza. Anything that happens in Gaza is the responsibility of Hamas. If we can back Ukraine for as long as it takes, surely we can back Israel for as long as it takes. Do me a big favor, please. Explain to my listeners your thoughts here, because this doesn't sit well with me either. You know, it's been a really hard, you know, week and a half uh, after what after that initial attack. Um I don't have relatives and friends in Israel, but I know people who do. But I just think our overall humanity. I do. You know, I'm sure you I do. do. I have I have I have 200 second cousins. That oh, live my in goodness. Israel. That's 200. Wow. Family members. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I think, you know, what, what happened there compels us to call out the evil that occurred by by which I, I mean, the deliberate targeting of civilians and um, it, it's very, you know, I'm not saying it's easy, but you know, hopefully most people can look at this and see the, you know, the horror there. But when I see the scenes 
uh, in Gaza as well. You know, Gaza, you know, you know, it, half the population of Gaza is under the age of 18. It's, it's an amazingly young and dense population. Most of these people were not alive when Hamas won that election in 2005, I believe it was, and then proceeded to sort of impose a dictatorial regime on, on the on Gaza Strip. Uh, that was often supported, you know, somewhat on the side by Netanyahu, who wanted to divide the Palestinians between Hamas and the Palestinian Authority. But nevertheless, um, but to look, but to, to to see these children and others and old people and civilians and say you don't give a damn about them, which is what Tom Cotton is saying. I don't care about these human beings. Israel can basically wipe them out. I don't care. To me, I don't know how you reach that point while you also are calling yourself a good Christian, because I'm sure Jesus would not say, I don't care about these children. But nevertheless, if you reach that point, it's incredibly difficult to come up with ways to think about resolving the uh, uh, the, the Palestinian-Israeli overall conflict, let alone dealing with this particular uh, out, outbreak of war. And... Um, I mean, I, I mean, I'm kind of lost for words, other than to say it's it's just it's disgusting. I don't care whether you you're for Netanyahu, against Netanyahu, whether you think there should be a ground assault or not be a ground assault, whether there should be a ceasefire now or not be a ceasefire now. How you can just say bounce the rubble, just kill, which which is just means kill the civilians, just bomb the hell out of them. You know, it's uh the 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 shallowness of 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 that position and the same thing you know DeSantis said something similar that everybody in in Gaza you know he didn't care about them the Palestinians because they were all anti-Semites every one of them listen I'm, we can get that's into a hell of a we... fucking blank that's a hell of a fucking blanket statement from a guy who wants to be president of the United States I, I can tell you personally I have I have many friends. Who are Palestinian, and I can tell you, not one of them would turn around and say that they hate me. No, may, I mean they may be they may be unhappy with you know the way things are going you know um, over there, and I get it. But we're now entering the thirteenth day yeah. since the this vile attack. And you know, I had on this program this guy named Nathan Thrall, and oh, he's you know, great. He lives I, in I, East. Yeah, I've well, heard, I don't I've know heard about. I don't, I don't know if I would turn. I don't know if I would call him great. Uh, we had a pretty uh, lively discussion. You know, his belief is very different than mine. Look, I to be I have to be, you know, very straight on this one. I, of course, stand with Israel um, in this scenario. And I say to people all the time. Do the role reversal, do the role reversal, forget about the increase in anti-Semitism. Forget about the fact that anti-Semitism is so prevalent. Forget about just in America, all over the world. Yeah. I turn around and I say to people all the time, what if hypothetically, let's do it the other way around, that the Israeli Defense Force, through paragliders, rockets, through water, bulldozed through the fence, started slaughtering a bunch of Palestinian children or party goers at that at a festival indiscriminately just started mowing them down with 
their, you know, with their AR-15s and so on, or AK-47s, whatever the hell they were using. They start killing them, raping them in front of their dead friends, urinating on them, finding body parts of other people and beating them to death with it, burning children, mm-hmm. decapitating toddlers. Just put it the other way around. What do you think the world would be saying about the Israeli Defense Force and whatever retaliatory right that the Palestinian Authority would have? Mm. Not Hamas. They're a terrorist group. Yep. Let's just use the Palestinian Authority. What right would they have within which to defend themselves? Right. You know, um, the only your point is important, but the, what, I, what I would what I, what I would point out is history never starts on day one. And, you know, and this isn't to you know justify anything, but there's a difference in status between Israel and the Palestinians, and you know, particularly Hamas, which is a terrorist organization, and so. Israel, as as a state, is held to a higher standard as it should be, as it claims to 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 abide by, and it is the you know you know the, the, the more powerful player in this conflict right now with the two million people in what Amnesty International has called an open air prison in Gaza. So you know it, it, so I, it, you know what, what I, I I'm happy to say. That if you look at polling and way the most of the world reacted, most saw what Hamas did as wrong, as evil, as immoral, despite what they even wait, thought. Wait, wait, wait. Could you imagine, David? I'm so sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you, but most no, no, thought no, that please. what Hamas yeah, did no, was no, wrong. No, no, when is it ever? When is it no, no, ever? No, no, listen, listen. The right thing no, to no, no, rape no. young children, no, 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 no. to decapitate me, toddlers, and burn them alive. Point. Let me finish. It's never right. It's never right, but people get caught up in you know the, the right and wrong and what they believe in in a given conflict, and that often you know affects the way they see things. But so the world came together and sort of decried this. Most of the world, not everybody, but most of it did right, and so that you know even in the you know people talk about you know a couple of kids on college campuses across America. You know, a poll of college students, you know, 80, 90 percent, you know, just say Hamas, you know, is a terrorist group and, and it was wrong to do this. While others are trying to, you know, justify it because of their views of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Um, it does get complicated. But but I think, you know, the, the you know, Rachel Maddow had a very, you know, passion and passion thing the other day in which she said, everybody has a choice. Every action is a choice. Hamas made its choice. Tom Cotton is making a choice by saying we should bounce the rubble. Israel is making a choice by its strikes that are claiming the lives of hundreds of civilians, many of them children, many of them have nothing to do with Hamas, you know, claiming that, you know, that that, that all Palestinians can be held responsible, or Palestinians in Gaza, for what Hamas did, to me is um, is an evil justification. It's collective guilt, and it violates the the, the international rules of uh, laws of war as well. So um, you know it, it, the easy you know the easy thing to do. Um, I would think the easy thing to do would be to condemn Hamas, 
and to say that anything that targets civilians does you know deserves you know a tremendous amount of caution and prudence. But you know we, we on, on, at least on some of the uh, Republican side, they can't even get to that point. They can't even show any empathy for the people caught in between um, Hamas and 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 the IDF. You know, and regardless of of, of whether you want to justify all that the IDF is doing. And um, it just seems to me that, yeah, you can always justify retaliation. Um, and certainly I understand the desire for it. But the question is, if you're going to be taking lives, particularly civilian lives, what is the outcome here? What are you going to be left with at the end of the day? Is this going to get you to a place where you have peace and security and dignity for as for both sides, as many people as possible, or not. And, you know, you just have to always, always think smart and think about your choices. No choice is inevitable. You know, Hamas could have, they didn't, they could have decided they were going to do this raid and only hit military targets, which would have, you know, caused a tremendous uproar, would have taken the lives of Israeli soldiers, but probably would have been seen differently around the world for good or bad. But they made a choice. IDF, Netanyahu, they have a choice. Americans have a choice in that we give $3.8 billion a year to Israel and to Egypt, and we have a say in how our money's being used and and, and, and funding whatever Israel is doing. And so um, I think one, you know, I think we just need to sort of eventually figure out how to get out of this damn cycle of violence. Um, and I'm with whatever, you. I'm with you on that. But could you imagine Egypt? Done, whatever's being done now, it's, a, it's it, this is fucking Iraq war all over again. In, in, in a sense, I mean, not complete, but it's like, OK, we're going to go in. We're going to, you know, we're going to blast away at Saddam Hussein. And then what? And then what? And it turns out what happened in that instance 4,000 dead American soldiers, 200,000 or so dead Iraqi civilians, and yep. a region destabilized for no good end. Because no one, you know, because they weren't thinking, didn't have the capacity to think beyond what, you know, the immediate future. In fact, uh, there was just a guy who wrote a good piece in the New York Times um, a couple of days ago who'd been one of the leading um officials at the State Department before the 2003 invasion, who was asked to come up with, okay, what is your post-invasion plan? And the State Department came up with volumes. This is how we're going to recreate the state. These are the people we're going to use who are there now. This is what we're going to build up. This is how we're going to, you know, bolster democracy in Iraq. They had volumes and volumes. You know what the Defense Department said? Donald Rumsfeld, Colin Powell, essentially, throw that stuff out. You have a three-year to five-year program that's too long. We're going to get, we're going to be out of Iraq within a year. Whatever we do is going to take a year. They didn't think about it. They debathified, which sounded good, but was wrong, and created a whole civil war. And they didn't think. They did not think. And hundreds of thousands of people died because of this. And so um, that's. I I hope that was part of the message that Biden conveyed when he spoke privately to Netanyahu and said, listen, whatever you do in Gaza, whether you think it's justified or not, you got to think about the bigger picture. Everything justified is not necessarily correct 
are are the smart move. You can justify a lot of stuff, and it's not going to rebound so, to your benefit. So let me break this down into two things. First of all, we were talking about that poll, the one on college students. And uh, I, I saw the poll myself. I actually um, just pulled it up. The poll found 86% of college students said that they were aware of October 7th's attack on Israel. I was... <laughs> that in and of itself sort of blew me the fuck away. Yeah. 14% of college students were unaware of an attack such as this, this disgraceful fucking cowardly attack by Hamas. What? What? Listen, I guess maybe they were stoned or having a beer party. I have no idea. But 14% of college students were unaware. That's disgraceful. And of that share... Of the 86%, 67% described the attack as an act of terrorism by Hamas. 67% versus 12% who see it as a justified act of resistance by Hamas. And then another 21% described it as something else other than an act of terrorism or resistance. The fuck are they talking about? What else could it be? What, what else could yeah, it be? Yeah, well, and this well, is the well, problem well. that I had with Nathan. He's sitting there. And, you know, I'll go, I'll go one step further. Look at the repercussions from, like, presidents of schools, like the president of University of Pennsylvania, my daughter's alma mater, or the president of Harvard. They are now losing a ton of support from people like the Huntsmans, the entire Huntsman family, turned around and said to University of Pennsylvania, nope. We will not give another dollar to this institution. We will not until the president goes. And good for them. And Les Wexner, though, though we should all have an issue with Lex Wexner, yeah, but yeah. he's I'm, another one. I'm not going to follow Les Wexner's moral lead here on anything. Um, who was, you know, people should know, was a close personal friend and partner with Jeffrey Epstein. Um, you know, I, I for one don't, care that much what college students say even though i have one now and i was once a college student and the fact that largest voting block in america well i i but they, but they don't they don't vote as much as, as as other americans i mean it doesn't surprise me that uh that, that some are tuned out and it doesn't surprise me that some you know even if, if they knew what happened not to have a, a clear understanding of, of of what happening they may have some general impression which may be right or wrong which then leads them to a right or wrong um conclusion or or, or opinion about about this terrible terrible attack um but um i mean i'm i mean i i think sort of right now focusing on what a few college students say or even in the case of upenn you know an event that happened before the attack is is a in some ways deflects us from the hard and serious conversations we need to have about how to you know get you know find a resolution to this ongoing source of violence and pain for you know the Israelis and for Palestinians and for everybody around the world who cares about either one of them or just for regional stability we see Hezbollah you know, not doing any full attack in the northern uh, Israel out of Lebanon, but they're, you know, they're kind of like, you know, 
trying a few things. And, um, you know, this is, you know, this, this small sliver of land, this small piece of the globe is a tinderbox that has ramifications around the world. In, in, in Berlin, which has the largest Palestinian exile community in, um, in Europe, you know, and I'm not saying Palestinians are doing this, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're putting killed Jew, Jews graffiti on synagogues and they're putting up Jewish stars of David on the homes of people who they, you know, who, who the vandalists believe are, are Jewish. I mean, so this does reverberate around the world. We saw that. Of horrific, course it does, David. David, we saw what happened in Chicago. We saw, the, we saw that horrific death of, of, of the guy who killed the the six year old uh, Palestinian boy yeah. here in the United States? And so what? So what happens there really reverberates, captures the 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 attention and the imagination of people here and around the world for a variety of reasons, and um, that's why I think we really need to be focused on the core of the debate on what can we do to stop you know, this from happening. And just saying you're going to wipe out Hamas is not... It's stupid. The, it's it's not stupid. It's not going to solve... It's not. I mean, hey, David, let to, me ask you this. Yeah. They deserve to live. Absolutely. No, they I'm de- saying, deserve I'm to live Hamas in deserves, dignity. Hamas and, deserves to be wiped out no, as they an organizational entity. I'm but, talking about but, Palestinians. But, but yeah, yeah, but Palestinians deserve to live. And the people... And yes, and the people who live in the schools... Under which Hamas has built tunnels and has their 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 meetings, those children deserve to live. They're not there. Absolutely. So let me ask you this: This is what, what. So why can't the Palestinian Authority? They're the governing. They're the governing body of Palestine. Why can't they contain? Why can't they take control over this land? I mean, it's almost like think of New York. If when. Even I hate to give Rudy uh, Kaludi, Drunken Giuliani, any credit, but organized crime was everywhere. They decided enough is enough. They're going to put together a task force, and they took it apart. So why can't the Palestinian Authority, by the way, with the assistance of the rest of the world, America, Israel, Egypt, Saudi Arabia now, why can't they all get together? Why can't they figure out a way how to just rid Hamas once and for all, right? Well, uh, you, you know there have been efforts. The you know the interesting thing is that Israel itself has tried to undermine the Palestinian Authority and has you know the Wall Street Journal had a good piece on this a couple of days ago, and has you know I don't want to say secretly but you know subtly it, uh, helped Hamas you know in in the Gaza Strip. So that the Palestinian political voice is split because Netanyahu doesn't want a two-state solution. He doesn't want to talk with the Palestinians. And his best, you know, excuse to not do that over the last few years has, has been that the Palestinians can't get their shit together. There is no one voice. It's Hamas in Gaza. It's a Palestinian Authority in the West Bank, and and it's you know, uh, and, and there's charges of corruption against the Palestinian Authority. I mean, there's charges of corruption against. Netanyahu, he's he's even on trial for it now, um, and so so they've done what they can to sort of make it more difficult for the scenario that that you're talking about. And I think in a lot of ways, some of the other Arab states, you know, they they cry crocodile tears 
for the Palestinians, where they really don't care about them so much. They they haven't taken the steps that are necessary to you know make them you know uh, an integrated uh, entity with 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 agency that can you know work out a, a deal. And so yeah, I mean, I, ideally, we need a commitment from the players in the region and the, the U.S. and others and Israel to just work the damn thing out. And I think too many have not really been interested in a final settlement. And in Israel, you have the rise of the ultra-right, which is part of the Netanyahu cabinet, who don't believe in a two-state solution. They don't believe in a one-state solution. They they talk about basically you know, uh, explicitly running Israel as an apartheid state. Some people say that it has some apartheid policies already, and they, you know, they want they they want the West Bank. They pushing settlements further and further into it. So, um, you know, it's you know, I, 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 it sounds stupid, but like, yeah, there's blame on to go all around, but there certainly is, and Israel, you know, has has not, you know, come up with its own position that would allow the scenario that you're talking about. Well, let me ask you this thing. It's inevitable, right? Doesn't seem unless you're going to kill all the Palestinians, unless you're going to kill them. What are you going to do with them, Israel? There needs to be some. That's the and that's the question I'm saying. Because God forbid they should not. No innocent life should be lost. So the question I would pose, and I pose it to everybody, is. What then is the appropriate response by the Israeli Defense Force to secure Israeli lives, right? Yeah. So that nothing like October 7th ever happens again, because Israelis deserve to live in peace too. Yes. Well, you know, A, if that was your only concern, I mean, it's not my if, only concern. I mean, it's I mean, a question. I mean, if that was the number one priority for whatever the, the action is at this point in time. They could call up the reservists. They could totally reinforce the border and they could clamp it down and they could have more surgical strikes and what they think are Hamas targets. And they could figure out, you know, how to, you know, you know, let things in. I mean, there are ways to do it to make sure that an attack like this doesn't happen the way that we try, you know. No, 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 no. That's not that's not my question, though. What's an appropriate response? You have thousands of Israelis, no, 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 young saying, children okay, who are dead. Saying, you have no, you, murdered saying, toddlers. You, you have Israelis on top have, of that. Yeah, you, have, you said Israelis have the right to live. If IDF wants to, you know, to protect them, what should it do? Well, there. Are, I just that's what I was responding to. What is? It's a very, I think, difficult question. What is an appropriate re response to such a heinous attack? And Whatever it is, if you want to think, you know, whether it's an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, tooth for tooth, whatever you, you think it is, what I've been saying is, if you're not doing it within the larger context of whether that response gets you closer to a spot where this won't happen again, and where we are, you know, and where you are, you know, making progress towards resolving the underlying instable unstable conditions uh in, in this conflict then you know it's going to be even if it's appropriate it's going to not help you in the long run 
And that's a very all, all I know. All I know is that every single person in Israel is somehow connected to the loss of yes. a life, an innocent yes. life that was taken. And, you know, look, I could understand the desire for the response here in America. We wanted it, too, after yes. the downing of the World Trade Center. And we were justified. So, my, you know, it's an impossible question to answer. I appreciate that. But I have one last question for you because sure. the hour goes by quickly. It sure here. does. You stated in another Mother Jones article that Steve Bannon and Alex Jones <laughs> have a bizarre conspiracy theory about the Israel-Hamas war. I mean, at least they got one thing right, right? It's not about Jews versus Muslims or Israelis versus Palestinians. At least he said it's Israel and Hamas. Uh, so f- yeah. good for them. Do me a favor. Explain to my listeners what you were referring to in this article. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just curious. I went looking at what some of the far right crazy folks were saying. And it turned out <laughs> that Steve Bannon, who was in the White House, top aide to um, Donald Trump, helped him get elected and is now sort of back on the Trump team. He, Trump gave him an interview not too long ago. So he may even be back to advising Trump. You know, decides that it's time to talk about what happened on October 7th and, and afterwards with the this new war um, in Israel and in Gaza. And he decides, who am I going to bring on to talk about this? Who's the expert out there who can who can who can educate and enlighten my audience? Alex Effen Jones, the biggest <laughs> conspiracy monger, you know, if you don't remember, uh 1.5 billion with a B dollars. And, and damages awarded to the people he defamed when he claimed that the, the the massacre at Sandy Hook Elementary School in in Newtown, Connecticut, was a hoax done by the government so they could grab guns. I mean, this is a guy who said they're putting chemicals in juice boxes to turn kids gay. Um, that um, he's had a conspiracy theory about the Oklahoma City bombing, the 1969 moon landing, 9/11. Of course, he's a big. Stop the steal, uh, bogus promote, you know, promoter of bogus narratives. Um, his big thing is that there is a global, you know, a, 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 a cabal of evil elitists who want to enslave the entire planetary population and depopulate the planet. And when they get together, they eat gold, they eat babies that have been shipped to them in gold foil. Now, this is a guy. Mm who Donald Trump went on his show in 2015 when he was campaigning and said, you're amazing, your reputation is amazing, and endorsed him. And now we have Steve Bannon turning to him to say, okay, what's going on here? And it turns out they you know, they both have this crazy idea that what's really happening here is that Iran and China have plotted to suck the United States into this war between Israel and Hamas in order to weaken the United States. And it's all being done, as Bannon would say, it's part of the Persians. He calls Iranians Persians. It's part of the Persian 10,000-year-long crusade against the West. And, you know, and 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 Jones goes on to say, you know, this is all happening because of the evil global globalists, plus Netanyahu let it happen stood his troops down because he wants a war to distract attention from his corruption scandal. Um, and Biden's helping him do this. So, I mean, it's it, you know, in the middle of this tragedy and, and, and the horrific images we see coming out of Gaza with all these civilian deaths 
these guys are out there, you know, promoting this nuttery. And, you know, we expect Alex Jones to do this. We do. But you know Steve Bannon, and I know Steve Bannon. We've known, we've known him for years. And while I've always thought he was wrong and diabolical and not any and, 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 and dishonest, I mean, this is, you know, getting in bed with Alex Jones. Is, yeah, this just takes on a whole nother level of stupidity. A whole stupidity. nother descent into, into, into this black hole. Yeah. Of Ma- and it shows MAGAism merging with just complete nutball yeah. conspiracyism. Uh, and that's really what Donald Trump has done to the party. And you, you, you see this with going back to our original thing with Jim Jordan and his obsession with false narratives, always, and, always, always attacking the deep. And, I, and I'll tell you what it also does, Dave, is it actually um, validates your book, which was very prescient in the fact that <laughs> none of these situations existed at the time of your writing. But yet it's um, directly on point. Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, there's just this this tremendously strong trend line of the GOP making you know an alliance with the forces of paranoia, irrationality, racism, and it's been going on as I put in the book American Psychosis for seventy years. And Donald Trump came along and he, and he just basically shifted all this that existed into overdrive. And then you see Steve Bannon. And um, hanging out with Alex Jones, you see Trump. And the Tom and, Cottons and, and, and the rest of them. Yeah, embracing yeah. QAnon, which he did last year. Um, it's um, and, and the rest of the Republican Party kind of following along. And you end up with Jim Jordan almost becoming speaker. And we still don't quite know what's going to happen with him. David, let me thank you as always for your insight. Thank you for uh, <laughs> thank you for these Mother Jones articles. They uh, they certainly make me smarter. Uh, I will definitely be speaking to you very soon because I don't expect any of these conflicts to end uh, anytime soon. So as a, as always, my friend, stay safe and thanks for everything. Well, thank you, Michael. And I and I, I don't mind our disagreements because we can talk about them civilly and, 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 and in good faith. And that's probably the most important thing that we can counsel at this point in time. And if people want to read more of my stuff, they can go to my newsletter, Arland, at davidcorn.com. But thanks again. I appreciate it. And I'll tell you what it also does. It gives us an opportunity to learn from one another because that's what the discourse is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be hatred. It's supposed to be to help you to learn and to see another, another point of view. So David, again, thanks so much, my friend. See you next time. And now for today's mayor culpa. Jim Begg Jordan's campaign to become Speaker of the House represents the high watermark for MAGA encroachment into American politics. While we have witnessed the spread of MAGA gospel on the local end as lunatics and weirdos attempt to take over school boards, Jordan's pathetic grasping for the Speaker's gavel represented a fundamental threat to American democracy. It also shows what happens when the clowns eventually catch the clown car. Luckily, he was stopped by fellow Republicans who threw a combination of anger over Jordan's bullying tactics and their own worry that a Jordan speakerhood would doom their own re-election chances, decided now is the time to stand up to the MAGA forces for which they rode shotgun for as long as it benefited them directly. Now that it doesn't, these moderates wish to move on. 
But you know what? It's too late. It's too fucking late. Even though Jordan was defeated, he is still an avatar for today's GOP base. In their minds, Jordan is some kind of disciple of Christ fighting against agents of wickedness and those who dare to defy Donald J. Trump. In their minds, the election was stolen, COVID was a hoax, and whatever fucking conspiracy is floating next. Jordan is the voice of the far-right lunatic fringe. And his ascension, no matter if it was thwarted or not, showed just how far these folks have penetrated into the American mainstream. And that should frighten us all. It should frighten the shit out of us. Because the irony in all of this is that those same GOP members who revolted against Jordan's bullying tactics seem to forget that they created this monster in the first place. How? Well, by tolerating Trump in the first place. Now they want their country back. Well, sorry, folks. It's too fucking late for you. You fucked up. Now live with what you wrought. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. Ah!